Welcome to Valley Church. Really glad you guys are here with us tonight. Uh, I'm Mark, and man, it's I'm just glad that we get to be here worshiping. Um, tonight, uh, we're back in the book of Matthew, and I kind of teased that we we're almost done with 13 last week, but tonight we are actually done with chapter 13, and that is quite the accomplishment for us tonight. Um, a while ago, uh, I heard this interesting icebreaker question, and sometimes I'll ask it of people, and I asked it of my community not too long ago, and it is simply, what is something about you that is off-brand? And that just kind of means, like, what's something about yourself that, I don't know, is a little different than you would expect? So, like, my wife, she's not here, so I can talk about her. Um, she's... Uh, I don't know. She would not call herself like, like in in front of a big crowd type of person, and she's not like super loud. She's very quiet, soft spoken, um, and like you have to really get to know her to draw her out, basically. But the thing that is off brand about her is that she used to be a cheerleader in high school. You would never guess that, right? Yeah, I saw your face. You would not expect that at all about her, but she was a cheerleader. Um, for myself, like, I was trying to think, um, you would not expect that I would love musicals as much as I, as I do, but, like, man, Hamilton on the Disney Plus, uh, In the Heights, just good stuff. Maybe I'm just more of a Lin-Manuel Miranda fan, but I would say, you would not expect that musicals would be my, and I love to sing Disney songs, but I, the, don't we all, don't we all? Um, so... I like to ask that question because most of the time you're like, oh, I, oh, I did not expect that. That's a pleasant surprise or like, oh, weird. That's crazy. I never saw that coming. So today, like this text that we're looking at is basically Jesus's like, uh, hey, this is uh, him going to his hometown. Everyone not expecting to see Jesus the way they are seeing him. So they're like, whoa, Jesus, this is not what we were expecting at all. So I'm going to pray. We're going to dive into some scripture here, and hopefully we can uh, just take a few steps forward in our uh, walk with Jesus and become more like him. So let's uh, just go into prayer right now. Father, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you that you are, uh, that your spirit is guiding us and uh, interpreting uh, scripture for us and uh, helping make sense of this, Lord, because it's not always easy to follow you, and uh, sometimes there's confusing things that happen, or we think something is you and then it's not, but uh, Lord, we just pray that tonight we are able to hear your voice clearly, that uh, we can uh, glean from our brothers and sisters that are around us, and Lord, that we can just uh, learn more of what it means to follow you tonight. So we love you, Jesus. Thank you again for this opportunity to be here. And we pray these in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Matthew 13, starting in verse 53 here. Um, so just previously, Jesus completed a ton of parables all about the kingdom of heaven. And now this is kind of like a transitionary uh, phase right here because he's done with that and now he's on to the next thing. And this is kind of the beginning of the next section of scripture here. So even though it's at the end of 13, it's still this kind of a transition from that. So 
Starting in 53, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? So Jesus is teaching in Nazareth, his hometown, and the initial reactions, they're like, oh, wow. Like, this is, this is good stuff. And he's probably throwing a few miracles in the midst of all that. And uh, I don't know. The reactions are good for the most part. But when we read, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? We, it's probably more of a tone of skepticism than amazement. Not like, oh, wow, where did this come from? It's like, oh, wow. Uh, where did this guy get this? These miraculous powers. So... We, we see this uh, first initial reaction, and the reason that this is happening is because, again, this is his hometown. These guys have literally known Jesus since he was a baby. And I don't know about you guys, but um, if you have any relatives that are like, oh, I knew you, or like friends or family that are pretty close, I've known you since you were a little baby. Sometimes that's really cool, and sometimes it's not. In this instance, it's not that cool for Jesus, so... Uh, continuing in 55, it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So according to scholars, Jesus probably started his earthly ministry around the age of 34, somewhere around there. Um, and with uh, his dad being Joseph, who was a carpenter, he would have most likely started uh, learning how to be a carpenter and stuff around the age of 13 when uh, you become a man in the Jewish customs. So he would have been a man, so he would have done what his dad did and learned how to be a carpenter. And Joseph probably died at some point, and Jesus continued this trade uh, from there on out. So the reason I bring that up is if he started at 34, 13, starting from 13, this is like 21 years of the people of Nazareth knowing Jesus primarily, pretty much only as a carpenter or a carpenter's son or the son of the carpenter, some form of that. So for them to hear anything else besides like, yeah, how big do you want your plow to be? Or like, yeah, these cabinets are rickety. I will fix them. Like, that's probably like throwing them off a little bit. And it's probably also culturally important to note that people stayed in their trade uh, from their family. So it, again, Jesus was a carpenter because his grandfather and his father before him and all, like generations before were carpenters. And it was probably assumed that if Jesus had a son, that he was going to be a carpenter. And if he had a son, a carpenter. So it, this is like the way that their mind is working. And when they see Jesus standing up, orating beautifully about the law, the prophets, uh, all these mysterious things of God, they're like, where do you learn all this stuff? Because he only knows how to carve wood or like make a really good dovetail. Like this is not something he should know how to do. Where did he get all this authority? Where did he get all this power? So Jesus in their minds is just being off brand, he, unexpected, didn't see that coming. There could have been even rumors about uh, 
and, and maybe continued gossip because when it says, like, isn't his mother's name Mary? So uh, isn't his mother's name Mary? Sounds like, oh, yeah, they smallish town probably all knew who Mary was and also probably still remember when Mary was a girl and got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of them were like, I don't know if that's true. There's some like, some of this like built up, uh, like, I guess, knowledge of their family coming through. And Jesus' brothers and sisters were already known by the people of Nazareth too. They were nothing special in their eyes. There's like, yeah, son of a carpenter, still, still the same. We know these people. And when it says that their sisters are still with us, their sisters probably lived in Nazareth. Like, we see them. They're over there. Like, their kids are normal kids. Their family's a normal family. Nothing different, nothing crazy. And as far as we've seen in Matthew, uh, Jesus' family is actually, like, probably more concerned than uh, helpful to Jesus' earthly ministry. Earlier in Matthew 12, Jesus was teaching to a crowd when his family came to talk to him, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we have some concerns about you and want to have a word with you. But Jesus says, no, no, that you... My mother, my brothers, my sisters are the ones who do the will of the Father, not, not them. Th those, are, those are not what I consider my family. And again, this is all crazy culturally, like strong family bonds. So this is like Jesus just throwing like that whole mold, the whole status quo out the window. And if we look at other uh, gospel like quotes here, we got John 7, 5, it says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. So it's like, mm, that's pretty clear right there. Uh, Mark 3, 20 through 21, uh, when Jesus entered a house, again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Woo! So this town that thinks they know everything about Jesus already because they've known him since he was a baby. His own family is like, like I, concerned would be even maybe a, a light way of saying it. They think he's out of his mind. So things are going well for Jesus so far in Nazareth. And uh, we can see how um, this is going so far. And when it says in 57, and they took offense at him, we can see why. And they took offense at him, and let's just continue. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. So the pe people of Nazareth don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Just pretty plain and simple right there because they think they already know him. And when we see this, they are, they are offended, but this is more than just like, ooh, like that hurt my feeling. This is more like, I reject you completely. This, uh, the Greek is a little more explicit in that, but it's like this complete rejection of Jesus and what message he has to bring. So it's hard to be anything different around the people that uh, think they already know you. And uh, there's this great quote by R.T. Francis says to the people of Nazareth, he's simply Joseph's son, and that is what determines his place in village society. So it's more of this reference to like, you're a carpenter's son, you'll always be a carpenter's son, 
There's no changing that. You are there, and that is who you are. Woo, good stuff. Matthew 13, 58, we'll continue on. It says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And just like that, we're through chapter 13. All right. So, not saying, uh, this verse isn't saying that uh, we can earn miracles or if you just believe hard enough, like any miracle can happen. That's not what this verse is talking about. But the Lord throughout the Old Testament, um, oh, just a little background on that. So the Lord throughout the Old Testament did a ton of miracles and blessed his people multiple times over. Most of the time, despite the way uh, they were uh, their faith and their pride, their stubbornness, all this stuff. So in spite of all that, the Lord continued to bless. So when we look in the Old Testament, especially uh, with the book of Exodus, when God's people are rescued out of Egypt, we see their pride and um, just their stubbornness. Uh, right after they're uh, taken out of Egypt, they're like, oh, we're gonna die. We're hungry, we're thirsty. Like, it would be better if we went back to Egypt because at least we have food there. And they're like whining and complaining. And the Lord's like, okay, manna from heaven, water from rock. Like, let's like, stop it. Get over it. Um, I'll take care of you. Haven't it, hasn't it been clear enough already? And the Lord continues to bless them, to take care of them, even though they are disobedient and stubborn. So, um, oh, even like uh, Moses is going to get the Ten Commandments, like the literal words of God. He's climbing the mountain, hearing the voice of God, his face shining, and he comes down and they're like, woohoo! We're going to worship other things. And it's like, what are you doing? So even in spite of all that, the Lord continues to bless, continues to have mercy on them. So it's not a, like, again, faith does not determine miracles from the Lord, but it can determine some judgment. So, and a lot of scholars say that this is more of a statement about like a judgment on the, the town of Nazareth uh, for their current spiritual state. They lacked faith and rejected Jesus. So because of that, they were not, Jesus was not able to do many miracles. However, there's still like some mercy and some grace in there because he still did some miracles. He still healed people probably. He still did some amazing teaching. And maybe a few heard the, the message, the word, the good news about who he is, but not many. So when, as we finish chapter 13 here, this very short section of scripture, um, I was just reflecting on this and praying about this, and um, this relates probably maybe to all of us in some form or fashion, uh, Family is probably the hardest people to reach. That it's not easy to tell family or close friends who think they know you about your faith. And so, like, as I was uh, thinking about this for us, I, I think we should expect rejection as followers of Jesus. And this isn't like mean that we shouldn't try. This is like more of a hey. Let's prepare our minds and our hearts for the fact that when we go and reach out to our friends and our family who are super close to us, we should expect that we might get rejected. 
This gives us a glimpse into that. And one of the main reasons why is because we might look hypocritical to them. They're like, whoa, you're telling me to live, that you live this way? Well, like, you were a turd for, like, your whole life. I knew you, like, before. How can you talk about this love, this grace, this mercy, this transformation? Like, where was that when we lived together and you were, like, calling names and stuff like that? So we can look like hypocrites to our close family and friends because that's not the way we used to be. And again, like, on the outside, it's like, yeah, we're, we're new creations in Jesus. Of course, we're going to be different. But to our friends and family, that's a hard, hard hurdle to get over. Uh, and for us, that sting of rejection uh, hurts a little bit more because they are so close to us. So we should expect rejection as followers of Jesus. And just... Um, like, it's throughout the Gospels and Paul's letters, uh, uh, for sure. If you want to go look through those, it's like, yeah, you will expect suffering. Uh, you will expect, let's expect uh, persecution as followers of Jesus. And it makes sense because when we're saying things like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that's like, whoa, bro, you talking about me? Like, yeah, like, all have sinned. Like, yes, I'm talking about you. Or like, the way... The, the truth and life is through Jesus and only through Jesus, that's very, very like narrow. There's only one way to life and that is through Jesus. So when people hear stuff like, like they're like, oh man, they're condemning me and not uh, approving of me. There will be rejection. So not saying this again to deter us, but to allow our hearts like to like be prepared for this type of rejection. And like, even for myself, like when I read about this type of rejection that Jesus is facing, I have not even faced that type of rejection. Uh, when I was becoming a Jesus follower, like after college and stuff like that, I was like, hey, I'm gonna intern. And they're like, what about your business degree that you just got, like, and all this stuff? And I'm like, no, it's unpaid. And they're like, what? Like, so you're going to work this other job? And they're like, yeah. It, it was more, less rejection, but maybe more, like, concern that, how are you going to pay the bills and stuff like that? And so, like, when Jesus is talking about this type of rejection, I can relate, but I can't fully comprehend the type of rejection where he is completely rejected by his entire uh, town and friends and family and things like that. Okay, so continuing on here, uh, Jesus says um, in John's gospel that the world hates him and hates us because we are not of the world, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. And as I think about knowingly facing potential rejection as I share my life with friends and family. Um, I know that Jesus has gone before me. And when we talk about our faith and we talk about what Jesus has done in our lives, Jesus went first. He's the first to go, I want to share this news with you and I want to change not just an aspect of your life, but I want to transform everything about it. 
Jesus went before us and he has overcome the world. And here's the, the crazy thing. So I said Jesus' family like, thought he was out of his mind, but eventually his brothers did come around. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the book of James or the book of Jude. So there's good news there that eventually sometimes people will come around to the good news of Jesus. And I just have like a few, like, I don't know, little encouragement tips or I don't know what you, Mark's top five things to, to not die when you potentially could be rejected by your friends and family. Anyway, here we go. First one is don't be a jerk. <laughs> um, this is a quote by Michael J. Wilkins. Um, he says, we must recognize that sometimes the inappropriate offensiveness of the messenger causes a rejection of the message. There are Christians out there who are jerks. They have poor social skills and poor manners. They treat people, both Christian and non-Christian, with disrespect. And when I say don't be a jerk, it's pretty self-explanatory there, but I think in a culture where it's, we're very sensitive and prone to have like big reactions. And that's what we see on like social media. And that's what we see on like news networks and things like that. Let's have a big reaction to this. I think we can be uh, sometimes jerks with the way that we overreact to certain things when they are not with our morals or the way we wanna live our lives. So don't be a jerk, plain and simple. Try this next thing, which is enter into their suffering. So when I say enter into their suffering, this is when I look in the Gospels, I see Jesus not just like saying like, hey, stop it. It's more like Jesus literally sitting in the mud with someone else. Jesus like going to that person and like being with them. The, the people that are outcast and thrown to the side, Jesus will lift them up. So for our friends and family that you're like kind of have... I don't know, I can think of a few in my family that I'd be like, okay, there's some hard things in their lives. How can I enter into their suffering? Instead of just like saying like, oh, that's too bad on Facebook, like having a good phone call. I think phone calls uh, for a little bit were like, oh, I don't wanna talk on the phone for some, I love phone calls now. It's way better than FaceTime because you can do other things on the phone and they don't know because FaceTime, it's like, they can tell when I'm not paying attention. <laughs> they can tell. But on the phone, I could be like literally playing basketball. And uh, they could be like, yeah, this is great. So anyway, that's just besides the point. But having a phone call, a good conversation, and being with them, being with them and asking them questions about the hard things in life. I don't think, um, I don't think it can be like overstated even that Jesus was not like afraid to be with people in the hardest of situations. And so I think hopefully we can do the same thing by being with people as they are suffering when they're going through hard things. So let's enter into their suffering with them. Next one is rejection now does not mean rejection later. And that is just me saying, try again, <laughs> try again. Um, there's people in my family um, that I've tried before, muted response, nothing really, but doesn't mean I'm gonna give up. Rejection now does not mean rejection later, so later on, I will continue to try again. 
and I hope you would too with some of your family. Because again, family, it's easy to get hurt and feel that sting a little more and just say, they're never gonna change. And that can kind of flip. We can do the same to them, thinking they will never change. But through the Lord, man, I hear all things are possible, so let's try again. And the last one is be patient. Sometimes it takes people a while to figure out what they, uh, that they need God. Like, my mom gave me a Bible and, like, a Max Licato book or something like that when I was, like, in middle school. And I was like, cool, mom. And I set it to the side. It took me, like, until I was in college to, like, figure out, like, oh, I do need the Lord. I do need this message of hope. Okay. Sometimes it takes people an entire lifetime. We got to keep praying. Can't give up. Be patient. Be patient. And that's easier said than done, but let's be patient and be expectant that the Lord is doing things that we can't even see. And the last thing, like, about this, just this whole verse in general is I had, like, all these cool, witty things. I was like, oh, this will be super memorable and a great point for someone's journal if they're taking notes. And I, I had all that, and I was like, who cares? Humility. That's like the, the last point is humility. So the people of Nazareth missed out on knowing Jesus as the Messiah. This, they missed it completely because they thought they knew who he was. And for myself, I never want to assume that I have it all figured out, that I know like everything that there is, especially about Jesus being an infinite God and all. I would never want to assume that. So thinking about them, the people of Nazareth and the Pharisees, that was just a huge similarity, this pride, this arrogance, thinking that they knew it all and they had all the answers and my last thing as uh, the band comes up and we go to worship now is uh, without humility, we're not going to grow. Without humility, we're not going to uh, be able to have a receptive heart to the word of Jesus, to what he has for us. Without humility, we're not going to hear that, that soft call, these whispers of the Holy Spirit telling us, hey, you should stop that. Or you should, you should go and try again with your brother. You should go try again with your dad. You should try again. We're not gonna hear that stuff without humility. And without humility, we can miss Jesus completely. So as we go into this time, I'm just gonna pray for us. Um, but I, I encourage you again to just allow the Holy Spirit to, I don't know, just speak to you about this. This is something that is not easy. Like, as we think about close friends and family, maybe you're even thinking, I've already burned all those bridges, or they're never going to listen to me. But I want you to have some, hopefully, some time later this week, during a quiet time, whatever, to really give your heart and your mind over to the Lord about this. Like, what? Like, who in my family or close friends do I need to talk to? So, Father, we just pray to you now. Pray to you in uh, humility as best as we can do. But, Lord, uh, through your spirit, I know that uh, we need you. We need you completely.
We are nothing without you. A lot of times we think we, we've got it all figured out or that we even know like everything involved uh, to, I don't know, quote unquote, be a good Christian. But Lord, it all starts with our hearts uh, and how, how they uh, reflect you. So Lord, right now we just pray that uh, our posture can be one of on our knees before you, asking you, Lord, can we not have this pride, not have arrogance, and not have a will that is against you, but Lord, a will that is for you, a will that says, Jesus, I don't know everything and that I need you. So Jesus, help us to need you even more than we already know. Help us to uh, worship you now and help us to not be a jerk so that we can go love our friends and family well. Jesus, we just give you this time and thank you so much for your word and for how you love us. In your name, amen.